Kathy Motlatana on SAFM. Yeah, look, I think the reality is that these individuals are, are not uh, unknown individuals. They're individuals that speak on the political landscape. One of them runs a political organization um, that is on, on the rise, you know, an organization that is growing based at least on a part of what we've seen from the election results. So not inconsequential um, that this has happened, uh, but it takes me back to what one of our callers raised yesterday. Uh, is the outrage around it, is that really justified? Um, I think people have a right to be angry about being lied to so blatantly uh, in the same way that they get angry um, when they lie to by other politicians. It doesn't make this case any more exceptional. Let's get into our conversation for this hour. Let me invite onto the show Jacqueline Judo Larson, the head of global research for the Walk Free Foundation. Jacqueline, good morning. Good morning. Sophie Otiende is founder of Azadi and also a survivor of traf- trafficking. Sophie, good morning. Good morning. And James Kofi Annan is founder and executive director of Challenging Heights. James, good morning to you too. Hello, James. Oh, James will be joining us, it looks like, at 10.30. So we'll continue the conversation with Jacqueline and Sophie. Jacqueline, let me begin with you. When we talk about modern slavery, um, what is it? And, and I would imagine that there's a reason why the language distinguishes it from just slavery. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, starting with that second point, this is not a new um, problem that's occurring. It is something that has happened for centuries. It's just that it's taken on new forms. And we wanted to very clearly state that, you know, it, it's essentially the same problem of a person in a situation of exploitation that they cannot refuse or leave um, through threats, violence, coercion, deception, or abuses of power, where once people may have been in chains, today they are bonded through debt. It's very difficult to see in many cases, um, but it's that same power imbalance that, you know, due to inequality. So every day we know that people are tricked, coerced, forced to work or to provide services um, and that every day we are buying the products that they are making or the services that they have been made to offer without even realising this hidden human cost. Jacqueline, how do we distinguish between modern slavery versus really deplorable working conditions that that humans should not be subjected to given where we have come in establishing the rights of individuals yeah that can actually be quite difficult as you are rightly pointing out this occurs on a continuum so there are a great many forms of exploitation in the workplace that happen for people that would not necessarily meet the criteria of forced labor as it's defined for these purposes. Um, Often the critical factor is whether a person is able to leave that situation and whether they are, you know, they're prevented from leaving through force or coercion, for example. Let's talk more about the study that you have conducted. What were you looking at there? 
So the Global Slavery Index is designed to answer three questions and to provide a snapshot of this at the country level. We look at the extent of modern slavery in 160 countries, the factors that are driving vulnerability to modern slavery, and what governments are doing to address the problem. And when I when I look at your overall findings, um, unfortunately, it seems to be Africa that is the continent most vulnerable to modern slavery. Uh, yes, in terms of risk factors, um, that is certainly true. But in terms of when we look at where the problem is most prevalent, that we tend to find that that is across the Asia Pacific region. Um, what I think is really important to point out for all your listeners is that this, this is something that is happening everywhere in the world, um, regardless of whether it is highly prevalent or not, all countries are connected to this issue. Jacqueline, perhaps are you able to give us a breakdown um, when you talk about the, the, the contributors to modern slavery? I know trafficking is, is, is a big one that you've already sort of touched on, but what are we looking at here um, when we look at what constitutes um, modern slavery? Yeah, so it is called, um, it is known by different names in mm. different parts of the world. So it includes forced labor, forced marriage, debt bondage, uh, sexual exploitation, human trafficking is another term for it, slavery-like practices, forced marriage, servile marriage, and also the sale and exploitation of children are all different forms of modern slavery. You're, the fact that you still have the sale of humans um, taking place in 2023, Jacqueline, is something that is, of course, jaw-dropping, but the scale at which it happens is, is enormous. Yes, absolutely agree with you on that. Um, it is jaw-dropping that we are still talking about this today. And you know, part of the issue there is that, as I said, um, in for the majority of these situations, they actually they look quite different. It's very difficult for people to notice. You know, I'm in London right now. We launched our report yesterday, and Sophie joined us for that launch. Um, and it, this is quite common to find this situation in nail salons. You know, car washing companies. It's not. Um, it's, it's not what it used to look like, but it's certainly hidden in plain sight as we talk about it. D does that make it harder to be identified, in particular by local authorities who are in different jurisdictions who would, of course, have some form of um, legal right to intervene where the, mm -hmm. there has been uh, trafficking or, or, you know, or, or sales of people? Yes, it can make it um, quite difficult to identify survivors. Um, and that is one of the pillars of what we put forward as a very strong framework for government responses to really improve and invest in the identification and support of survivors so that we all get better about addressing the issue. We're talking about the impact that it has on human lives. When we come back, I'm going to give Sophie an opportunity to tell us her story as somebody who has survived trafficking. Kathy on SAFM. 
We're taking a deeper look at modern slavery and, of course, the worrying index that has been released that shows that there's an increase of people living in modern slavery. Sophie, you are the founder of Azadi. You are also a, a survivor of trafficking. Tell us a bit about your story. Uh, hi, I, I'm actually not going to tell my story. Okay. I'm, the main reason why I'm not going to do so is because I think that my story is not a unique story. Mm-hmm. And I would really want people to understand that it's not a unique story. I'm a survivor of uh, what we call domestic servitude. So my story is not a unique story. And one of the things that I'm a strong advocate against mm-hmm. is actually the retelling, the need to be able to retell stories so that survivors can be listened to and can be empathized to, people can develop empathy. So I will not retell, but then I'll pivot to actually what the impact is. Because for someone like me, this happened when I was a child and the long-term impacts of trauma is really, really significant, especially on women and girls all over Africa mm-hmm. as someone who comes from Kenya. So sure. I, I think one of the key things is actually the impact of trauma on, you know, on young girls and the fact that there isn't support, right? There's absolutely no, no specialized support for people who've gone through what I went through. Apart from that, we have a system that doesn't also accommodate the participation of survivors meaningfully so that we can be able to address this issue. So for an activist like me, the assumption most of the time is that after you go through something like this, all you can be able to do is tell your story and then that's it rather than actually provide solutions Mm. and the reality is that most survivor leaders want to provide solutions they're able to provide solutions and as you know a a continent and a space that is trying to create something out of this we should encourage more survivors i was lucky I went back to school. I run organizations at the moment. Most of the survivors who come from where I come from don't have the ability to do the things that are, that we are we are doing. So when I come back to the to the global slavery index, which I'm really happy to have participated over the past four years with Walk Free, one of the things that is really important for me is that. This is actually a framework for you know, people who want to hold governments accountable. Because most of the time when we talk about this issue, people are really overwhelmed. And the question is, what can I do? Mm. And this particular document actually provides language for some of the things, some of the questions that we can ask our government in terms of addressing this issue. Sure. And Sophie, I absolutely respect um, your decision not to want to tell your story. You, you described what you experienced as domestic servitude just for the purpose of educating myself and our listeners. What What is domestic servitude? So domestic servitude would fall under the category of forced labor, child labor. Okay. And for our listeners, and I think this happens, I come from Kenya, and this happens most of the time. I ask most people most of the time, how many of us lived, who were slightly well-off, lived with relatives who are the same age as us, 
and those relatives didn't go to school basically because they, they came from poor families. They worked for us as domestic workers. Mm. And in most cases, most of those children are going through domestic servitude. So the situation is that it's when you keep, uh, when you, it's, it happens in the context of a family setting, you know, a private setting where mostly poor girls and women are kept in situations that Jackie was talking about and you cannot be able to live and the main form of exploitation is labor and in most cases also sexual exploitation. Mm. How are you able to drive the message home about the fact that this is slavery because listening to uh, the, the the scenario that, that you've described, sometimes families do this believing that um, they're doing that particular child or that particular individual a favor because they would be worse off if they were not there. And, and, and that's often what we see <coughs> in, in rural areas too. So how do you get people to move beyond the point where they not only begin to see that this is wrong, but that it is a violation of the rights of that child or that individual that they're subjecting to these circumstances. I think I'll look at, I'll discuss this at two levels, right? I think one, we there's this idea that we are consistently pushing over shared humanity and the fact that we really need to talk about equality, right? If you wouldn't want your child to go through this, what makes you think that for it's acceptable for another person's child? That's the first level. Like we should consistently strive to believe that all of us have a shared humanity and all of us can deserve the best out of life. That's the first situation. The second situation for me is more of a practical and where I feel like governments should come in. In when we think about like social protection system, it's not the responsibility, completely the responsibility of individuals to take care. Like we need to ask more from our governments. If education was free, if children who were often could easily access social protection systems, then we wouldn't be talking about people basically having goodwill in terms of taking care of the less fortunate in the community. We've built governments to actually create a framework to take care of people when they can't be able to take care of themselves. So therefore demanding from government that we get these things is actually it's our right. So I believe that then we move that because we don't want to put children and you know vulnerable people in situations where they're begging for mercy to survive. And it's really, really important for us to really start seeing why it's important for us to advocate for better social protection systems that take care of everyone in the community. Jacqueline, it's it's often also a, a quest for, for survival for individuals that have been trafficked. What are some of the things that you have uncovered that prevent many of these individuals from, from leaving? Yeah, well, I mean, you're right. It is... Um it is often a survival response. And if I go back to what Sophie was just 
saying that it's ultimately about setting up structures so that nobody has to make that kind of decision. We see in all in all um, sorts of parts of the world that you know families are making decisions to marry their daughters at a young age, either for their own protection because they're living in you know a, a displacement camp, or because um, it will bring in income for the family and they need to feed other children. No parent should be in a situation where they have to make that kind of choice. And this is what Sophie's getting at in terms of this is a structural question around inequality and what we've let happen in our society. We know these sorts of situations are going to, um, are likely to increase actually, because the increase that we have seen in the last five years has actually happened against a backdrop of increasing and more complex conflicts, widespread environmental degradation, assaults on democracy in many parts of the world, and the economic and social impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, which you know, many countries are still grappling with. And we know that the most vulnerable women, children, and migrants are disproportionately affected by that. So when we see this compounding of crises, you know, conflict, climate change, COVID-19 all sort of coming together, they have caused significant disruption to education, to employment. That has then led to increases in extreme poverty and in turn to forced and unsafe migration. And you know, when people are not able to plan safe migration pathways, they are often forced to make decisions that put themselves or their children at risk. So you know, these are all the sorts of issues that we want governments to be taking far more seriously and tackling through a modern slavery lens. All right. Thank you both for coming on to the show, uh, Jacqueline and Sophie, giving us perspective there in terms of this research that has been done. It's 10.30, time for the latest news. We'll continue uh, with this conversation on the other side of the news. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on The Talking Point. We're looking at um, modern slavery. And when you listen to the definition of modern slavery and the circumstances under which it takes place, I think we can all look around us and you will see instances um, of, of where it is prevalent. You heard about... Um, the car wash scenarios, you heard about the nail salons and the beauty salons where slavery, modern slavery is taking place. Um, sometimes people that have been trafficked. And, you know, if, if you visit salons, right, hair salons even, just in the Joburg CBD, and, or, or even some of the other businesses, and you'll find that there are people who live and sleep in those facilities and some of whom are not actually allowed to go out. So their job is, is to be there the whole day. And it's just got me thinking about how, how much of that also is part of the conversation that, that we are seeing. Interestingly enough, um, this report is calling on 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 G20 countries to look at supply chains that are increasing modern slavery. So the system that we are in around production of good, goods is also fueling what we then call modern slavery. Anonymous in Gokstad says, good morning, Kathy. 
Slavery goes much deeper than we realize. Some workers, particularly in rural areas, are paid well below the minimum wage, don't have proper facilities at their workplace, and even work extra hours with no overtime while the employer lives the high life. It's disgusting. And you're right, Anonymous, because that in and of itself is an example of the form that modern slavery can take. James Kofi Annan is founder and executive director uh, at Challenging Heights. Uh, James, good morning, and thank you so much for your time today. Good morning, and thank you for having me. James, when you go about the world and you are doing work that is looking into slavery, modern slavery at least, do you find yourself having to convince people that the, the situations that they are in actually fall under modern slavery or can be described as slavery? Well, thank you and uh, greetings to your listeners. Um, yes, um, there are a lot of people around the world who are victims of slavery, but who do not know that they are victims of slavery until and, and unless um, some of their rights are pointed out to them uh, before they then come to terms, the fact that they are in slavery. And I have come across so many uh, of such victims that sometimes we, we help. So for instance, um, somebody who has been assisted to travel out of Ghana to an overseas country and her passports have been seized out, uh, from her and uh, she is working in a restaurant and, and giving the money to the host or sharing the money with the host. Uh, things that the person has done her a favor by helping her to travel probably to Europe. And therefore, the person is protecting her by uh, taking the passport for safekeeping, you know, such a situation. There's another person, for instance, working in a fishing industry who uh, was taken away from the parent uh, with the promise of uh, taking good care of him. That person feels that because the parents are unable to take care of him, by virtue of the other person giving him food and probably giving him some clothes, that is care enough. But the person is not calculating the nearly 18 to 20 hours a day of work without any pay and the abuses that come with it. He just feels that being with that person is safer and um, a bit more convenient than being with the parents. So a lot of people are victims without knowing that they are victims. How do you go about educating people about the fact that they, they, are, they are victims of modern slavery, not only to those that are caught up in the situations, but also to those that are perpetuating and are responsible for those situations that they are violating people's human rights, that they are committing crime. Yeah, you see, slavery has a, a meaning. Modern slavery is an extreme form of exploitation and includes being forced to work or forced to marry. So there are certain elements within it that 
will bring to bear to those people who are ignorant of their own right. And it's all these things are also enshrined in laws, the legal framework. So for instance, South Africa has laws on slavery or human trafficking. Ghana has a human trafficking law. Um, um, Togo has a law on slavery. So the definition of what slavery is or human trafficking is has certain elements. And we would we are the ones who then bring the element to bear on those people that we are seeing this element, you're being forced, you're unable to have your freedom or decide when to work and not to when not to work, you are not being paid and uh, you are being held against your will. These are all the elements that are present in your circumstance. And therefore, this is the uh, situation that you find yourself. And, and sometimes when we do that and compare what the situation should have been as a, against what it is now, then they come to themselves and begin to be grateful for the education. And then once we, they know they are right, they begin to assert it and begin to um, uh, demand uh, protection from law enforcement agencies. So these are some of the ways we do that. Of course, the media is very key in all of these things because what I, James Kofiana, can do uh, for 10 people in, in 10 days, the media can do that within a minute. So the media is also key in propagating what the education models should be like. And I'm grateful for this conversation that we're having today because many people are listening and many people will be educated and therefore many people will be prevented from being victims of slavery. Mm. You, you work particularly with um, young children who have been sold into modern slavery. How, how much do, do people pay for a child that's being sold into slavery? And, and once they've been sold, what, is the, what are the chances of, of, of them ever being able to make an escape or, you know, almost being, being redeemed later on in life? Yeah, so yeah, you are right. We work a lot with children, but also with women. And uh, with the, as far as the children are concerned, we are looking at an average of $50 now. It, it used to be less, uh, around $20 uh, equivalent, I mean, in our Ghanaian uh, terms. Uh, but as we bring light to bear on the situation, um, more and more are getting themselves protected from traffickers and therefore, um, supply is reducing as our observations will show. And so uh, as economics will define it, um, once the supply is low, then uh, the cost would also go up because the demand will be higher than the supply. So we are seeing an average of equivalent of $50 per, per child. Um, when a child is sold into slavery, the chances of being able to escape is probably 20 to less percent, um, if, if it is without assistance. 
Because you see, we are talking about situations where those children are put in environments which are isolated from the mainstream community. Um, they are working in highlands, or if they if it is not highlands, they are working in protected areas like those in domestic servitude. They um, are work, working in homes that have been walled and well secured, where you start to work from dawn to dusk, and you are not allowed to go out for anything. No one sees you, and every time it's locked. So you have a very slim chance of being uh, being able to escape, and until and unless some of us and uh, our organization are able to spot you, then the chances are very, very, very slim, uh, uh, so to speak. For the women that we work with, I mean, we um, they are mainly transnational uh, victims, like uh, those from Nigeria to Ghana, from Ghana to the uh, uh, United Arab Emirates areas, et cetera, et cetera. Those ones, are very difficult. And usually it takes agencies abroad to be able to uh, support and repatriate them. For those from Nigeria, sometimes it's easy because of the situation where they are, they are put into prostitution, uh, they're put into cyber crime, et cetera. So they, they are a bit more visible. So the police is able to sweep on them. Currently, as I speak to you now, there is, um, for 49, we have 49 men and women who have been rescued by uh, the police and, and their uh, perpetrators arrested. And it was done as a result of the, a swoop that was done on, on, on the perpetrators. Mm. What are the kind of things that the women who would be trafficked to countries like the UAE, as, 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 as you're saying, what what do they do when they get there? What are the conditions they're subjected to? The evidence we have is horrifying. And sometimes I just wonder why uh, humanity um, would treat fellow human beings the way they do. A lot of these women um, find themselves in domestic uh, work. And especially those who went as a result of deception, unorthodox recruitment, and they find themselves in gated communities. They work several hours, like 20 hours a day, some subjected to prostitution, force, uh, sex, and, and rape. Um, others being used for, um, you know, we have seen stories of where animals would service these women and they are tortured in many ways and they are unable to change jobs because their passports are linked to their particular employ, employ, employer, and et cetera, et cetera. So those are the, the, the situations. And um, in you know, just outside of the UAE, I want to look, come to uh, Libya. We have seen um, organ harvesting. We have seen um, some state-sponsored 
forced labor situations, uh, you know, all those kind of inhuman abuses that the person has no way of running away from is what we are seeing as evidence coming from those areas. Yeah, you know, these are these are absolute atrocities um, that, that are being committed here, absolute atrocities. Let me go to the phone lines. Dee, you're calling us um, from Cape Town. Good morning. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can, Dee. Okay. Um, first of all, um, when they're disasters, um, children are taken by the US's, USA's shadow government, mostly from eastern countries, you know, like tsunamis and things like that. The little boy Ryan from Australia disappeared completely. And secondly, um, I've actually seen the slave pits um, on the Mozambique border with Zimbabwe, and they are very deep and very terrible. And um, ISIS and other affiliated um, groups have abducted the most slaves in all of history, especially of African origin. They are just millions and millions. Thirdly, I think that women have a, and men also have a very hard time because rape when a person is raped, they could actually get AIDS. If it could be over a long time and a life of suffering, I think that should be murder or attempted murder. It's too, rape is too soft a crime. We need murder for both women and men who are raped. And the third thing is um, King Charles. King Charles is bringing in this great reset. And Cyril Ramaphosa had a, went over there and had a great powwow with him. And Cyril is going to make us all slaves of this new Chinese system of having to, to ride on a bicycle to the shops and do your carbon um, footprint. And they're going to feed us on grasshopper legs. And please, God, save us. And it's not Cyril who's going to do it. All right. Dee, I'm not sure about the last part of, 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 of what you are saying. Um, but James, disasters, do you often see that disasters are used as an opportunity to traffic people? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, we are seeing the impact of climate change having um, devastating toll on, on people and creating new set of vulnerabilities that ends people becoming uh, vulnerable to slavery. So displacement in various countries uh, creates um, those kind of, of uh, the, the, uh, vulnerabilities that then traffickers would take advantage because people become uh, poorer, uh, they lose um, access to their assets or, or homes, they lose the uh, the ability to um, work or be employed, uh, they, they lose all manner of things. So they become desperate. And, and especially when then they are put in some kind of displacement camps. And this can happen both internally within countries and across countries. Because you know, um, climate change situations that results in flooding, uh, that results in droughts and so on and so forth, that deprive people of their natural livelihoods, like farming uh, opportunities and so on and so forth, then forces them to seek better opportunities elsewhere and in the process become vulnerable. So yes, um, um, these things, uh, floods and, and uh, it, you know, various impacts of climate change 
causes a lot of people to become victims of, of modern slavery. Mm -hmm. I mean, recently, we did a, a research um, um, looking at the intersection between climate change and, and uh, human trafficking. And we found this new evidence that shows that we are, we are now confronted with um, climate change as a very uh, serious form of the driver of, of modern slavery. I'm also quite interested to see the link between um, modern day slavery and, and supply chains uh, globally, because it does suggest that there is big business that is benefiting from modern slavery, but it's also convenient to turn a blind eye to the fact that it is happening. Yes, um, we <laughs> very interesting uh, situation uh, of people trying to exonerate themselves or or behaving as though it's their problem and not our like other people's problem and not their problem. But if you look at the evidence that have come out, especially out of this um, uh, work free global slavery index that has come out, the uh, GHC. G20 countries alone are importing goods worth over uh, $468 billion annually that are at risk of modern slavery. Now, so even if those slavery victims are not physically present in those G20 countries, their footprint stretches far and near all those countries that are uh, producing those goods or exporting those raw materials or whatever the form it will be. So I think that those G8, uh, G20 countries must take responsibility and confront the problem and invest and take action in addressing modern slavery. Otherwise, there are businesses um, become a reason for somebody suffering human rights abuses and they cannot excuse themselves from the from from the scourge of modern slavery and they cannot excuse themselves from responsibility they have to take responsibility for that one has to think about um the the infrastructure that makes up the way of life um that we have today and if that doesn't mean that modern day slavery is going to be with us for a long time because we live in economies that are product driven, consumer driven, there's this need to get more and more and more and to produce more and more and more. Um, does that also make the problem worse? Well, our our appetite has no bounds at the moment. The sophistications in what we want to consume, the modern trends, technology, things that make life easy, um, are all that you and I are looking for. Convenience of life, but. Those convenience of life also come with the risk and, and it comes with demand for more um, 
I'll say um, human beings to be impacted, raw materials are being taken away and, and producing those things and the manufacturing processes and all of that. So, so I, I guess as humans, we must always question ourselves, what we are consuming, how was it produced? Because to be honest, and the, and, and the answer to your question is absolutely yes. To be honest, the products that we produce, uh, a, a lot of them, we don't ask any questions, but we just enjoy them. But somebody else at the very last tail of the production process, or should I say the beginning process of the production uh, 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 process has a lot of human beings who may not know their right or who are being kept somehow. I mean, let me give you an example. What happened in uh, uh, Malaysia recently when the COVID pandemic broke and uh, the Canadian government placed an order for $8 billion worth of gloves. And this mask company uh, produced these goods and, and produced it with forced labor. To the Canadian government, they were trying to get these gloves for the benefit of its citizens and to protect the citizens. But this came at the expense of other human beings who were forced into very deplorable state of working to produce those emergency uh, uh, gloves uh, products that was needed to address the issue of, of uh, the COVID pandemic in Canada. So at every point in time, the convenience of one person is at expense of another person. So what we have to all do is to join the movement to ask questions about the sources of the products that we consume the sources and the environment of the services that we purchase and find out if somebody is suffering at any point in time, then we ask questions and ask questions of the companies, of the businesses that are producing those goods and services. Do you find that the, <laughs> the campaigns that, that have been held over some time, um, that those make a difference? I remember the campaign, uh, you know, against chocolate really because of young children that were being used to you know to work on 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 these cocoa farms cocoa bean farms do, do you find that that makes a difference in in terms of raising awareness for the consumer and ultimately whether or not they still consume a product yeah excuse me one of the most effective global consumer targeted uh, uh, campaign was the chocolate uh, uh, cocoa uh, conversation. When uh, Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire became the center of global attention and the consumer protection agencies decided that until Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire addressed the issue of child labor and human trafficking in cocoa production processes, they were going to boycott chocolates in, in uh, Europe and America. And the Senate, the Senator um, Tom Hacking and his friend Angel came together to create the Hacking Angel Protocol, and it became a tool for the elimination of child labor in cocoa um, in the last one decade. And that has been very effective. Through that, we've had many schools in 
cocoa growing communities. We've had access roads to cocoa growing community that makes it easier for children to be able to trek to school. Um, a lot of parents are now taking their children to school rather than using them on cocoa farms. So that has been very effective. <clears throat> and still the light is on. A lot of eyes are on the cocoa and chocolate industry. So to that extent, yes. All right. That All right. kind of movement mm. is absolutely necessary. All right, James, we're going to have to leave it there. James Kofi Annan, founder and executive director of Challenging Heights. Time for your latest news.